Well, good morning and welcome to the home stretch. We are almost there. Um, second last chapel already of the semester. And it's Advent. This is a season that we regard each year. and come around this time, kicks off with Christ the King Sunday in the liturgical calendar, and then we talk about this season of Advent, also known as Christmas shopping. And we kind of rush through it. And everybody talks at this time of year more than any other of why they are so busy. And then they'll quickly qualify that. But it's, it's a good busy, though. It's a good busy. In my household, we participated this past Saturday in this timeless um, cultural liturgy where we sit down at the kitchen table with all of the children and we give them a piece of paper and then we invite them to write down all of their idols. And we're going to put them all in paper and maybe put them in envelopes and we're going to mail them to this imaginary fairy tale land in the northern part of Canada in the frozen tundra where an imaginary fat guy lives with a slave labor force who will manufacture these idols and then ship them back to us on a particular day where we'll all stand waiting and they'll all be happy for probably 25 minutes before it wears off and then they all come back again. And in order to pull this off, me and along with every other American household, if we do what we did last year, we will collectively spend a trillion dollars, an average of $700 per person, in order to pull off this futile feat where we gather as a culture and try to celebrate the greatest gift that ever happened by replicating it with cheesy trinkets. Merry Christmas. Feels a little Scrooge-ish, a little Grinch-like to start like that. And yet, what are we doing in the middle of this season? We walk around and we talk about the things that we want and we teach already in our own children's hearts to long for things of this world as we celebrate our salvation from it. Doesn't it seem strangely ironic? When anybody's asked you this question this year, what do you want for Christmas? I read an article this week by, on Thomson Reuters talked about that if Americans rolled back their Christmas spending by 20%, so if you just gave up one out of every five gifts, that would actually generate enough revenue to end world hunger. We have disordered want. We've done all of this, and as a church, we've participated in all of these cultural liturgies, and then we want to point the finger at everybody else and say, they, they took the Christ out of Christmas. We certainly contributed. And yet it's not just at this time of year, right? Our wants and our desires just don't make up our Christmas list. They make up the decisions that we make every single day about the things that we believe our lives are headed toward that will satiate our deepest longings, that will gratify the things that we stand in need of. And so it's not just Christmas time. Our wants order our lives. They order our calendars. They fill in the lines in our checkbook. Since God people landed in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament times until now, we've been tempted to engage in syncretism. This combination of our religious practices with those of our culture. And more often than not, the biblical story is us getting sucked into that and being swallowed up 
in it. So how do you look distinctively different at this time of year? How do you look like a follower of Jesus and not just a follower of whoever's in front of you in the shopping mall? Can we truly reorder our wants and our loves? See, Advent is supposed to be the season of reorientation, of redirection and reminder and perspective. And yet the busier we become, the more lost we become in the mess. And we all know this, that the faster our lives start moving, the more confused and reactionary we typically become. And the less we live out of our stated priorities, and the more out of the voices that surround us. What do you really want? And Did you wake up this morning to order the practices and the liturgies of your life to actually take you to that destination. What do you want? We turn back to this series of the Jesus questions and where Jesus asks this question, what do you want? This comes from the beginning of the Gospel of John. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. He was about four in the afternoon. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, the rock. Jesus saw them following him, and he asks this seemingly innocuous question, what do you want? This is the first question that Jesus asks in John's gospel, and in many ways, it's actually the first question that lays the foundation for all of our discipleship. It's the first question we have to ask if we want to embark on any movement of renewal or revival. What do you want? What are you aiming for? What are the little decisions that we're putting in place setting us on a path towards? One of my favorite um, projects right now I'm getting to work on at DORT is this refresh through our educational task and framework. And the four coordinates that are within there are designed to lead us toward a particular educational goal. If someone were to watch the movements in your life, Would they be able to pinpoint the coordinates that are pointing you in a very specific direction? And what is the want that's driving these? If this really is the first question either of discipleship itself, as Jesus shows us in the Gospel of John, or of any movement of renewal or revival or change or rebirth, I'm asking you this morning, what do you want? And look at their response. Can we hang out a while? Where are you staying? 
Like, if they really did think that this was the Messiah, and he asks you, what do you want? This is really interesting response. Can we hang out with you? You ever met anybody who you just, you liked being around them, and other people liked being around them? Like, the Jesus in you just kind of dug the Jesus in them, and there was something about them that made you want to be their friend, to be in their presence. You liked who you were when you were with them. There's something about the presence of God when we experience that in people that makes us want to be with them. We like ourselves when we're with them. We like them when we're with them. And they obviously saw this in Jesus. God came to meet them. The question is answered with a question And a longing not only of the disciples who are looking for a Messiah is revealed in the text, but interestingly enough, as N.T. Wright points out in his commentary, the longing both of God and of man meet in this. They were looking for him, and he was looking for them. Your longings are looking for something. Everything that you wake up to do every day And he longs to be in it with you. And he writes, says it like this. When we read a passage like this, we see that there is more of a two-way process going on than the people in this story realized at the time. What Andrew and Simon Peter thought they were doing was looking for the Messiah. But what they didn't realize was that the Messiah was looking for them. We enter into this time and we get into places of worship and the pastor comes up front and asks you what it is that you're looking for, but you also need to know that there is one looking for you. And there's something inside of every one of our kids that feels their life is incomplete, that needs to write something on a piece of paper that they're hoping will deliver on some sort of longing. That longing itself isn't wrong. The wanting is good. God put that wanting there. God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind. God wants you to want. God needs you to want. It creates your pursuit of him. And it's part of the reflection, apparently, of our image-bearing of him because he wants to be with us and to cultivate that kind of intimacy. We are the answer to each other's longings in that. That's how God made us to operate. So all of those things inside of you that drive you, they might be misplaced. You might be trying to choose a major right now to provide financial stability because you didn't experience that to the same extent in your home. You might work out like crazy, not because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but because you want an Instagram pic that will finally validate the fact that you are beautiful, at least to somebody who likes it. You and I wake up every day with these misdirected, disordered loves and longings and wants, and we keep asking everybody else and the things of this world to fill it. You can't turn them off. All the longings inside of you for community and for belonging and for love, they're not wrong and they're not broken. They're not a sign of your weakness. They're a sign of your image-bearing. But they can be misdirected. And when they do, it's like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. What do you want? How are you organizing your life right now? 
If I could take your planner and your calendar and put it up on the screen, if I could take your checkbook and do the same, if I could take your fears and put them up for all of us, what would we all say is directing the decisions of your life? You are what you love. We become like what we want. And our loves are disordered. So how do you reorganize them? I want to encourage us this morning just to reconsider our wants a little bit. And why is this so important? Well, number one, because when you want the wrong things, you can't see Jesus, and then you don't even want him when he actually shows up. Everybody in the first century claimed that they wanted a Messiah. They claimed that they wanted deliverance. They claimed that they were waiting for this. The prophets talked about it for centuries. And then when Jesus actually comes and is like, ta-da, here is God, this is what he offers, most people are like, yeah, not interested. What happens when Jesus doesn't just want to rewrite your Christmas list? What happens if he wants to give you open-heart surgery? What happens when he wants to tear the order and the wants of your life apart and reorder them in a way that directs them towards the one thing that can actually answer all of them? You see, I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians today who would be just like the first century Jews that if Jesus were to show up in this moment, there's a lot of us who would actually be disappointed. Oh, really? Do you have to come now? We've got a big game next weekend. I was just about to finally take that vacation to Hawaii. I just got engaged. I've become so convicted that more often than not, I am living my life like Jesus is some sort of consolation prize. Like, if everything else doesn't go the way it's supposed to go to fulfill all my longings and wants, well, then I guess I always can come back to the people of God we can worship and I can talk about Jesus again. Do you ever feel this conviction, too? Many of us are organizing our lives, and we talk about it, and I don't mean any disrespect for anyone, especially if you have, in, in recent past, have lost somebody. I understand the significant trauma of that, and I think everybody in this room at some point in time has lost somebody close to them and will again. I'm not belittling that, but consider what we do in those moments. We don't offer each other the promises of the things that were supposed to gratify us the most, that to live as Christ and to die as gain, to be with Jesus and in his presence is the greatest thing to answer every longing we've ever had. And yet we describe it so often, even as followers of Jesus, as if it's some sort of intrusion in a way that disrupts what we were wanting and projecting back onto God. I think that calls us to reorder our wants and our longings a little bit. How many of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, would actually be disappointed if Jesus showed up before Christmas? Now, I understand our wants are disordered, and like in the passage where it sort of talks about, right, Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief, I think it's Jesus, I want to want you, but there are times where I don't want. Like, it's just time to get honest, and I love the questions that Jesus asks people because they cause us to do some honest wrestling. I think we need to be able to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself, do I actually want Jesus? Like, do I actually want what he's offering as opposed to the things I keep putting in place instead when I want to answer the longings and the cries of my heart? It's time for us to get honest with them. It struck me in the middle of our ritual this year in our house of the kids making the lists that we wanted to try something 
different. And it was interesting to watch the children's responses. So we said, write down, write over your Christmas gifts, and then we're all going to exchange names, so that person will get your list. But write three to five things on that list that you want this person to be praying for for you. And then every morning when we open our Advent calendar, our assignment will be to be an intercessory prayer for this other person in our household. And not for the gifts on their list, but for the gifts of God that they're asking for. And I want to see if during this time we can change the conversation even just a little bit so we look a little weird and freaky in our culture again. So we look a little bit different and our lives aren't decorated simply with tinsel and with lights, but with the clothing of Christ. And with an answer to the world's longings in an articulate voice that sings the glory of our Jesus. And so maybe, maybe the place to start right now is just to be able to say, Jesus, my life doesn't look like it's organized around wanting you, but I want to want you. So can you just start there? And third, I was listening to a, one of my fa- favorite podcasts this past week, and they were talking about this idea, and I want to talk with you a little bit about it too. What shapes our wants are the environments we place ourselves within. You chose to be here because you wanted to be in a place in a Christian community that would help you orient. So let's help orient one another towards the things of the kingdom of God. And in this, John Tyson, an Australian pastor from New York City, in this podcast said, I realize that it's not enough for me anymore to surround myself with people who believe what I believe. I want to surround myself with people who want what I want. I want people alongside of me who are helping me pursue the things that are of God. Because if it's all just a matter of sharing the same belief, well, as James so accurately articulates, uh, even the demons believe in God and shudder. So sharing belief isn't enough to create affinity. What creates affinity and direction and decisions that actually change and transform our lives is asking each other the questions, what do you want? Would you dare to leave here today and just ask somebody else in your life? Ask a friend, ask a roommate, ask a boyfriend, ask a girlfriend, ask a professor, ask a student, ask a staff member. What do you want? Can I pray for that for you? Like today and on the spot. We kicked off chapel at the beginning of the semester and we had everybody go outside and pray and it looked like this beautiful picture of what we should all be doing every day, right? Interacting in different places in prayer. Can can we replicate that and weave that into the culture and the fabric of this place even more? Where we look kind of weird. I would love it if Christmas shoppers were walking by um, and would look on us and be like, man, those people are freaky. I hope your Christmas list is being disturbed right now. I hope you're rethinking all the things that you thought you wanted. Surround yourself with the influences, not just the voices of our culture, promising what it can't actually deliver. And so what do you do with this? Maybe this is self-disclosing, but after I got through my Amazon wish list of things that I actually wanted for whoever pulled my name, I came up with these. Things I'm asking them to intercede for me for. Maybe this gives you some sort of idea. Because at the end of the day, we need to rethink this stuff. The spirit of our age is powerful. 
And renewal happens when we push back against that and create different movements in our lives, a reordering of our lives, not the ones of our dominant culture of abundance and affluence and ease and consumption. So this is it. The presence I'm asking for this Christmas. To be present with Jesus. To not be consumed by consumerism. To not be consumed by the wants and longings, but to just be present. All transformation happens in life when you move one step closer to Jesus. So I just want to increase the amount of time I'm with him in the busiest of seasons to actually go the opposite direction and push against culture. To be present to my family. To actually be there, not just thinking about the next thing we're supposed to do or the next thing on the calendar, but actually be present in the moment. To give them the present of being present in the present. To be present at this campus and in my work. You ever talk to somebody where in the middle of a conversation with you, but they're actually like looking over you for the next most important person in the room? Like, I just want to be present. The way Jesus would make everybody else's stuff just disappear. He asked them, what do you want? And they said, we just want to hang out with you. And he took them home with them. That's how the discipleship started. That's where the change began for the leaders of the early Christian church. Jesus took them home with them and hung out with them. I just want to be present. And I want to be present to the next move of God. I want to be attentive to whatever it is that God wants to do next because God is not done moving. In that podcast, Mark Sayers went on to talk about the greatest lesson he's learned about Christianity from American football. And I found this analogy fascinating. He said, it's time to ask what time is it in the kingdom of God? That's what Advent is for. What time is it in the kingdom of God? He says, when I watch American football, it's a whole different... A strategy that's designed at the beginning of the game. If you're going to go with like sort of a ground and pound run offense and you're trying to wear down the other team physically, the plays that you call and the way that you're implementing and playing the game is different than when you have an entirely separate practice two-minute drill. See, the two-minute offense is designed to run under quick pressure and it's designed to run when the game is getting towards the end. It's a different kind of game that you play in the two-minute offense. And so what time is it in the kingdom of God? What if it's less than two minutes? Because then it's really time to start changing our wants and our desires and our patterns and our liturgies and our rituals. What do you want? What do you really want? What do you want to want? Let's ask Jesus for those things. You pray with me. Father, we just want to confess before you today that our longings and desires are so often misdirected. We need your presence in the Holy Spirit to reorient our lives, to perform open-heart surgery. We repent and recognize that so many of our desires are born out of greed, out of fear, out of lust, out of so many misplaced longings. Jesus, teach us that you put all of those there 
so we would look for you as you look for us. And we thank that you, and we thank you that when you look at us, you look upon us with eyes of grace. And a love that we can't even fathom. You came to meet us in all of our brokenness and all of our sin. And you loved us still the same. And while we were still sinners, you came here. Father, do it again for us in this holiday season. And each one of us in our own way now is asking you to open us up and change our wants so we really can be satisfied. For you came that we would have life and have it to the full. And in the name of the one who made that promise to us, who told us it was his mission statement and then gave us himself. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Will you please rise?